0: Ah, oh, a day late, but a dollar richer. That's what I'm gonna call it. This is episode nine of the Cincy Postcast. Uh, we've got a uh, a chock full of uh, I got I got a mouthful of content here for you, full of content. So we've got uh, reactions to the nil nil Atlanta draw, the hard fought. Point on the road, uh, as well as we're going to touch on a couple of other uh, topics, as well as, uh, you know, the designated player signing that happened in between recording sessions. Uh, we've got U.S. Men's National Team news coming to Cincinnati and more in part one. Part two, oh boy, we have the failed postcast immediate reaction show after the Open Cup. Uh, the, the majority of the post contributors got all-you-can-eat all-you-can-drink seats, and uh, boy, the 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 aftermath of the recording session was something else. So a couple of highlights from that. Didn't really feel appropriate to release that on your ears. And then finally, in part three, we've got Open Cup news. We've got New England as the opponent reactions to the draw. And uh, yeah, the Riverhounds gave Cincinnati all that they could handle. So that will be episode nine of your Cincinnati Postcast. Joining me on this wonderful adventure, we have the one and only Grayson Chalmers. Grayson, how are we feeling tonight? Have we recovered from Tuesday night?
1: Look, I'm tired of people. I'm tired of people shitting all over Brenner. He has way more XG per ninety than anybody else <laughs> on the team. Wait, oh crap! That's we're not that's we're not the there old- yet.
0: That's the old Grayson we know and love. <laughs> uh, the 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 joke I'm alluding to here will make more sense once people listen to uh, to part two. And then, of course, we've got old old uh, Chief War Pig Chief. How how we feeling tonight? Have we recovered from the Tuesday night hangover? I,
2: I think I was a l- few drinks behind Grayson at the uh, the match. <laughs> um, I'm just very pleased we didn't put that episode out because as soon as we stopped recording. My first reaction was, we need to delete any evidence that that happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh, About halfway through, I realized it would uh, never see the light of day, but everybody seemed to be having fun, and I didn't want to stop it. (laughs) This is uh, uh, not the first time I've been a part of a uh, a podcast recording session that uh, alcohol derailed. And, um, yeah, in the moment, you feel like... It makes sense it feels good you're grooving and then you listen back and you're like this is awful not anybody who wasn't in this room is going to enjoy this
2: it it has the same kind of reaction too when you have a friend that's out at the bar and he's saying no i can definitely drive home it's like man you're slurring your words (laughs) like you've dropped two drinks like everyone always thinks they're way better than they really are and when you're doing it while recording That's terrifying because then you start to think about all the other bad decisions I've probably made while I was drunk and thought, yeah, it's great. I can totally pass. No one realizes how fucked up (laughs) I am right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, I feel like drunk history set a very high bar for people and um, it's not that much fun in person and and drunk history works because one person is drunk and everybody else is sort of. Of reacting to them, the straight men to their uh, to their bits. And it's just eh.
2: what, we sh- what we should do is we should release that podcast at some point, but say in order to listen to this, you have to be as drunk as we are. So <laughs> it's a podcast specifically for people who are hammered and they come home from the bar at like one thirty, two o'clock, and you throw this podcast on, and it probably makes a fuckload more sense when you're yes. completely plastered too. <laughs> I think there's an industry a thr- for this. There's a market for this. Drunk podcasts, <laughs> where it is specifically content you listen to while you're fucked up, and it it's it's just way more enjoyable to be hanging out with other drunk people when you're sitting by yourself at home. <laughs>
0: And it would be content that you'd be much more amenable to while drunk. It's like long religious rants and like deep weird political conspiracies and whatever else.
2: It'll be the first
1: podcast where it literally is talking to you and it's telling you that it loves you.
2: Yes, yes. Yes. You know what, man? I love you. I don't say that enough to you. I love you. <laughs> So I'm going to say that to you all the dozens and dozens of you that listen to this podcast. I love you I'm saying Aww. that when I'm sober too. I love y'all. Oh, it's beautiful.
0: No, there's uh there's no uh, three pet net minimum for this episode. No, I don't, I don't think that's happening here. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's touch on a little soccer. It feels like it was a hundred thousand years ago, but, uh, FCC did play Atlanta. They got a draw, uh, in my reaction immediately during the game after the game was this was not a game that fcc draws often this was uh this is a gutsy performance a team that didn't give up and a team that had i think what four percent of the uh possession and yet still looked i don't know they looked like they were in it from time to time there at the end i i i was happy with the performance i i mean obviously the result was good but in general the performance looked good to me it wasn't it wasn't desperate. I was happy with that.
1: I don't know. I think. I mean, great result to get a draw against Atlanta on the road. Absolutely. Get a get a clean sheet. Um, got out the last what twenty minutes or so with down a man. Um, you take that every day of the week. Right. Um, but we were a little fortunate sure. uh, not to not to get frankly blown out. Um, and a little unfortunate not to steal a result too, but, um, that game could have easily been one, nothing us It could have easily been three, four, nothing Atlanta.
2: But isn't that like the story of the season thus far for FC Cincinnati that, you know, the Austin game is what it is. It was a, it was a train wreck, but other than the Austin game, every single game we've played this year, you could make a convincing case for FC Cincinnati taking all three points In every single one of these games, there was no game where they felt, or so far this year, again, other than the Austin game, where they have felt outclassed, out of the match, and especially because of just the way the team looks offensively. In every one of these games, you can convince yourself they're going to score. Even in this game, they had multiple opportunities. Brenner had one that, one of the most unlucky goal denials ever, (laughs) but the opposite of an own goal, an own save um where we should have been up one nil and that that could have carried the result um so uh, that's progress to me progress is it's a team that looks threatening and that's not ever out of games that's a good thing I think right yeah that's
0: that's all you can ask for i uh, I mean yeah they were lucky they were fortunate but, uh in every mls season so far for fcc which is only 3 years uh i think they've at most had 3 or 4 clean sheets in one of those seasons so like even lucking into one say this early in the season it's like good vibes going forward and i know like the uh the alec khan was the uh the the sort of like star signing of this off season and that the goalkeeping needed to improve if this team was going to do anything. Um But the man yeah, stepped up game. huge. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, lucking into a, a clean sheet is something you know, Kenneth Vermeer and Teton and Richie weren't able to do all these years. So see, I'll, I'll see, take but it. I, I,
2: I, I reject a little bit of that because when I, when I think of games that FC Cincinnati was lucky to still be in, I think of Nashville week one last year where it takes <laughs> right. an effort, um, an insane effort from Teton standing on his head in order to keep the team in the game. Um, Yeah. There have been other games like that where bailout clearances right off the line uh, shots that are deflected at the last minute tackles out of nowhere. That should have been penalties at any other time. And we somehow got the ball. It didn't feel like that kind of lucky. It felt like your general. Yeah. They probably had their chances and one of them probably should have gone in, but there's a degree of luck that you you you're used to with fc cincinnati and we didn't get to the holy shit are we lucky yes. level that seems so common over the last couple of years this just felt like a regular mls game between a home team that is slightly better than the road team and that's a massive amount of progress from where i'm sitting that we are yeah. looking at this game and thinking yeah atlanta probably should have won but we looked like we belonged there we you know we showed up. We acquitted ourselves. Well, maybe that's a low bar, but fuck, I'll, I'll take what I can get at this point.
0: I mean, think about it this way, too. The, this is the impression we got with an Atlanta team that has, yes, not every single dollar on the field against us, although they voluntarily benched some of it, but like the most expensive attack in MLS. Uh but we were also starting Dom Baji at, at left back and we were down Jeff Cameron. For better or for worse, um he's better than the backups uh behind him, with uh rookie Ian Murphy locking down that central defense and uh was it Ray Gaddis on the outside? He I mean, pulled him out of retirement. I don't think the intention was to have him starting in games like this. Um this team is doing this essentially ragtag on the back line, and with Haglin getting a red card in this match, they're going to have to do it again and then more so against LAFC. So, um, yes, the the improvement is there. Everything is is looking good, but you do wonder what this could have looked like with a fully reinforced backline with Marita in there with, if not Viasia, Sia eventual replacement, um, with Alvis Powell or with um, Wobodo. Yeah. Or with Wapoto, which, uh, we will have to touch on here as we, we can officially talk about him. And now that we know his last name, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, I do think, I do think that that's, and this is going to maybe seem contradictory, but I do think that's the optimistic take from this is, uh, you know, the back line was held together with like duct tape and staples. Yeah. And um, they were still able to get out a result and in past years when they would, you know, barely survive a draw, it would be the first choice eleven against like a depleted Montreal, right?
2: Right. Right. Well the other thing the other thing too that was the other thing too is, is just okay. The back line is, is duct tape, staples, and prayers at this point. But you can survive that as long as your offense is creating chances and is at the very least forcing the other team to consider the possibility that you're going to pull one back the other direction or you're going to steal one going the other direction. And this is now every game this season, even the games we haven't scored, the offense is creating good quality chances in front of net. And I've been as hard on the guy as anyone, but Brenner in this game gets his first start and he looked feisty. He made yeah. a couple of incredible movements off the ball, which is something that I've been waiting to see from him forever. Um a couple of really really good touches that should have set people up if maybe they'd known more what he was doing or there had been just a little more of that chemistry that's been lacking. He should have scored unless he uh, until he was blocked by Vasquez. Start your conspiracy <laughs> theories on that one now. Um, but having that ability to play complementary football is something we just haven't had in this team ever. Um, there were yeah. long stretches of games last year, the year before, and in year one where this team you thought they might never score a goal again, where they were unef- oh, yeah. ineffective on the counter. It's it's it, it's just it, if you can have that threat if you can have that idea in your head that you're going to score something makes a huge difference
0: yeah for sure for sure um after the uh the game there was uh some discussion on the Pride discord channel and I, I was sort of giving my sort of feeling on on the match and how i felt like uh, people were were criticizing dom bhaji a little much for uh, his role as the left wing back and not not because, you know, I'm defending him because he's not a natural left wing back or whatever. Uh but I just felt like his role wasn't to do what people thought it was. Like he wasn't asked to defend in this game, which is weird for a left outside back. And I just had one of those moments where like I kind of like sketched out what I thought happened in that game as I saw it, and then I actually went and like dug into some of the data to see like w- was I Did I see that right? And I I feel like I nailed it and it was great. So this was this was as far as I could tell the strategy. Awesome self dap, by the way. That's incredible. When you when you get a rare win, you gotta flaunt it, baby. (laughs) But uh (laughs) I, I say that to say what I'm about to explain, I I backed up with visual data that the, the the wonderful podcast listener will not be able to look at in this immediate moment. But um, essentially, Gaddis was asked to defend. He was asked to stay back, whereas Baji was essentially playing as a left winger, as if he was uh, the left side of a front three and Vasquez despite being shown at the top of the little chart was actually deployed as a right winger he was off to the side and Lucho and Brenner were essentially given permission to do whatever the hell they wanted up and down the field they were constantly changing places and moving around that way I thought that was really really bold for a few things one it tells me they don't see Brenner as a you know stand up hold up striker. They recognize his ability to play the ball. So hat tip to Dos Harks who's been arguing with me about that for two years now. Um, but two, it tells me they actually trusted Ian Murphy to cover for Baji when uh when he was going up. That meant Blackett had to slide over, and that meant Murphy was essentially going to be locking down that defense by himself there. And they trusted him to do it. And I don't remember him having a a, a negative moment in this match. So um you no know, that was just it was an incredible sort of lopsided uh formation and deployment for this team and it was creative and it was I'm just gonna beat this horse until it's deader than dead. Uh, something we'd never see from Japstom or Alan Koch. This was a, a clever creative move that forced them to uh, to react and adapt and it put the entire game on Gootman and Gootman couldn't couldn't pull it off. and it was great.
1: Yeah, so um, I want to touch on something that Chief mentioned about how it feels like we're getting chances, right? And that's a game where Atlanta had something like sixty-five percent of the possession. Yeah. And um after um after and we still had like I think according to FB one point two XG, um, which isn't bad for thirty-five percent possession. For
2: never having the ball. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: I mean uh so after the Montreal game, um I was talking to a friend of mine at, at the bar and he was saying You know, I know we only lost by one, but we only had 42% of the ball. And, you know, it really it's not a game that we really should have been in in the first place. And I'm like, well, look, we had 17 shots. They had like five shots. Um, We won the Montreal game on XG. And I think we're starting to see a pattern emerging, which is in line of what we expected from Noonan was not... Needing a lot of possession in the game, but focusing on that direct play, generating a lot of chances and, and good chances.
2: It's the opposite of what we've been seeing with Jaap Stam, uh for all this time, where Yop's teams, the, the, the hallmark of those was a lot of possession that went nowhere. A lot of team, a lot of possession in the in the middle third, passing the ball back around the midfield. And yeah, the possession numbers would get jacked up a little bit, but they weren't doing anything with it. With Noonan, I forget, maybe it was you, Kevin, that was talking about this, where there's all sorts of data that the best way to play MLS is right up Route 1. Long balls go directly where you're going, go right at people yeah. because they're probably not good enough to stop you. And I, I like what I'm seeing where we don't waste a lot of motion when we have the ball. It's directly upfield, it's always advancing things, and we're creating chances. So, I mean, they say it's, it's hard to, to, to work without the, the ball – but we're making it work without the ball. So I don't know. Let's keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, it's clearly I actually, working.
1: I actually looked at this after the after the Montreal game and last year we had some we had um, forty eight point six percent possession across the season. Um they, we had fifty percent or better possession in eleven games. We won one of those games. Uh, We had more than 59% of possession in four games, lost three of those, and drew one. And that's like over the course of the season, we had 38 XG for, 61 XG against, (laughs) took 405 shots, and gave up 533. And uh, so far this year, we are somewhere in, I don't have the updated number, but we're somewhere in the, um, you know, 40% possession and, uh, I think right about even on XG, if not a little, a little bit ahead of, of XG against.
2: Wow. And you, you, you would think that the possession numbers are going to improve as the midfield continues to improve. I mean, that's really what we're going up against right now is that the, the Achilles heel on this team is and remains that we have too many people in the midfield playing out of position or playing in positions where they wouldn't be starters in a lot of other places. So you would hope that, that more possession, in addition to the direct attacking style, you know, maybe that number starts to skew even further in favor of the XG4 versus the XG against, um, and maybe some actual G as opposed to XG, which would be, which would be, which
0: would be keen. That improvement is, uh, I guess doing his paperwork and is, uh, filling out his, his visa visa requirements there, uh, Wabodu officially coming to FC Cincinnati um, as as we talked about on the last podcast uh, if you wanted to look smart and look clever you could you could easily look up this guy's stats in Turkey uh, he's He's a defensive mid midfield uh, machine, as far as we can tell. He's He leads the league or is in the top five in pressures, interceptions, tackles. Uh, these are all things that you'd like to see someone like Moreno or Kubo doing on a regular basis. Uh, he's somebody that has played, was it right wing or at the very least a more forward midfielder uh, throughout his career. So he has that ability to progress the ball. Um yeah, he played
1: right wing in Hungary.
0: That's what it was. Yeah. So I mean, this is the first designated player their right wingers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was just so good. <laughs> I had to pause and appreciate that for geo- a second.
2: We're, we're getting geopolitical now. I like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh I don't I don't know if he is – uh nope, I'm not going to make that joke. Anyway, um i was was gonna talk about testicular tanning things i don't know it didn't really make sense i couldn't fit it in um anyway wow oh my gosh uh chief bail me out talk about this guy huh this is fun first dp of the albright era no
2: uh you say testicular tancer uh testicular tanning speaking of destroying balls um this guy is an incredible force in the midfield uh what you look like when you look, what he looks like when you watch his highlights is he's got a little bit of N'Golo Conte to him. Um, yes. Where he appears to be a little bit of a pest. Um, he challenges hard, but he seems to have a knack for when you watch MLS, there's a lot of challenges where they're great in that they break, break play up, but they also don't result in you winning the ball and the ball bounces to someone else. And what right. you've done is you've, You've simply changed the point of attack Um, and sometimes left yourself in a worse position for making the challenge because now your defense is out of shape for where the ball ricochets off to. And he has, I had a friend that used to describe it this way, a soft foot where he'll go in for Mm -hmm. challenges and retain possession after the challenge or have the ball in a position where it's not bounding off to God knows where and setting up a, a new opportunity. So he's a skill set we just haven't had on this team. They were trying to teach Frankie Amaya to do this. They tried to teach Kubo to do this to varying degrees of success. But this is, this is what we need. We need somebody in the midfield who can restart the attack going the other direction off of breaking up possession from the other team. So I'm, I think it's a great signing. My, my only concern is, as always with DPs, that he's just barely a DP. And when it comes to DPs, you're better off just going whole hog on a DP. There's no ch- There's no sense in dipping your toe just in the water. Go big or go home because there's no reward for, for managing your DP salaries at all.
1: I, I, I definitely agree with you that I don't like the idea of us cheaping out on DPs. let' am not saying that's what we're doing here, but if you have a guy who, like, just barely you can't buy down could you have gotten another guy a little cheaper and then use the dp spot on somebody somebody more expensive um however it does look like or it sounds like uh albright has had his eye on this guy um basically since since he joined fc potentially even before yeah um Cause I I mean they said they've been looking at him to bring him over here since October I I doubt that's the first time um, he ever heard of him he just happened to hear hear of him the first day on the job at Cincinnati uh, <laughs> very suspicious <laughs> and the the and I think it was the his new uh technical director I don't know the guy's not on the team website but he's been reported <laughs> as being hired. Uh, Kyle McCarthy, he brought over with him from Philly, um, seems to seems to have been instrumental in kind of in pinpointing like this is a guy that we that we want to try to bring over. And I remember Noon, uh, Albright had said many times that um, uh, there's a, a class of player that's available to him in Cincinnati, particularly at the DP kind of level, um, that just wasn't on the list for Philly just mm. they, they were just out outside what the ownership was willing to willing to spend. And, you know, if he had this guy specifically in mind, or he had some guys on a list who, who he's like, man, it'd be really nice to bring this guy over to MLS. You know, I I could, I could definitely be talked into uh Wobodo at any price.
0: Yeah. I think a designated player, defensive midfielder is an interesting move um i don't know how many times mls teams have done that doesn't feel like the most common place to uh to put a bunch of money but i do think it's a really clever place um we talk about the rarity of a designated player center back um and it just being not worth it in mls uh, but you do need to improve your defense. All of the other teams have, yes, put all of their designated player chips in the forward position. And the the midfield role is kind of the perfect spot to try to counter that um, while still using your money in the attack. Um, and, it, yeah, as we've said, it's something that we've been missing this whole time. We knew it was someone uh, or a position that would be brought in eventually um and if the intention again I'll, I'll bring it up in every episode until they start playing it if the intention is that 442 diamond um he is the perfect base of your diamond here this is this is a, a piece to build that uh that midfield around into the future so this was a, a really good clever
2: smart buy but when you're thinking about like where do you want to spend your money on a soccer team it, it's kind of like in football why does everyone spend all their money on the quarterback? it's because the quarterback's the only player that touches the ball every single play. Right. To me, it makes all the sense in the world when you're looking how to build an MLS squad is you put your money on the guy that touches the ball most often, and that's going to be your defensive mid. It's going to be your attacking mid. It's going to be your person that gives you your finished product and your striker. Those are the guys that you want to get the most touches in the most the danger zones for your defensive mid, protecting your end, for your attacking mid, moving the ball forward into the final third for your striker, actually creating the goals. And we have the DP striker. We can quibble as to whether or not he is the actual right person to have the money and have the DP contract, but we've spent the money there. We've spent the money on the attacking mid, and now we've spent the money on the defensive mid. We're building the team and spending the most money right up the gut with the players that are gonna, we are expecting to touch the ball most often. That Intuitively, I'm, I'm by no means an MLS expert, but intuitively, that makes sense. If you can only pick three people to blow your wad on, make them the people that are the most important people in the most central part of the field. It just it makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, I yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, it's just unfortunately so many other teams, they they blow that third spot on a right winger or uh, you know a, a promising uh, outside midfielder who just won't touch the ball as often. But they, they hope that they'll eventually become something that they can either score goals or sell onto. Um, yeah, sorry, but Grayson, when, cut you off there. No,
1: no, no. <laughs> you, I mean, is uh, pretty influential for uh, Montreal uh, as a as a defensive midfielder.
2: We saw that firsthand. I yeah. mean, yeah. he he yeah. he is a tough person to plan around. He is he is a every time that you are moving forward, you've got to account for where he is on the field yeah,
1: yeah I, I think I have no problem with using a deep DP spot on a defensive midfielder the 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 problem with with doing that not and it's not really a problem is he's gotta be he's got to be like a like a lockdown destroyer defensive midfielder you know and I think at, at the at the attacking midfield and at the forward presi- forward positions they come in all Shapes and sizes and flavors, right And there's yes. all types of ways that those types of guys can can um, influence the game. And it sounds like with Loboto, we want him just winning the ball anyway any way he can
2: right but but the good news with him though is that if you watch his highlights and again, I'm trying to be an expert here after just watching YouTube clips. <laughs> but he's he I mentioned in Golo Conte earlier he's got a little bit of that in him where he's willing to venture forward. He's willing to carry the ball forward. He's willing to join into the attack from the back. He has a good touch with the ball in terms of crosses, centering passes. Um, so my hope would be is that if you're spending big money on a guy like him, that maybe he does more than just lurks in the the center of the field. Uh, maybe he has the ability to, to, to draw people out of position with runs, to move the ball forward. You see a little bit of that in his highlights, and And then at that point, if if that's the skill set you're buying, the DP slot is buying that extra 15 to 20 percent that he provides on the offensive end as well by being more than just an average defensive mid. And if that's the skill set they're buying, I I love the strategy. I think that that's a you're playing a market inefficiency at that point.
0: Yeah, what's exciting to me and would have been more exciting if Kubo hadn't just had two terrible games, but he seems like the much better Kubo. Similar skill sets, but just seems better at it. And I guess a lot of people will look at this as Kubo's replacement. I see this more as Moreno's replacement and seeing him alongside Kubo each providing that destroyer mentality with the ability to go forward, so that when one goes forward, the other one can stay back, and you have confidence in who hung back. Um, not but to he's say like, Marino's he's, yeah. He's
2: the anti Kubo, whereas Kubo is right. offensive minded that can pl- track back and be that destroyer. He's the person that is the destroyer that can occasionally track back, track forward, and do and play offense. They yeah. they seem like a perfect yin and yang for one another on the field. I absolutely want to see him playing together. And what he does bringing him in is he allows you to have Moreno deployed tactically for, okay, we need to shore up the defense and kill a game off for a result where you can bring Moreno in late on as a sub. Or if you're playing a superior team that you can put both of them on the field, you can bunker, park the bus, and play counterattacking football. I I like the flexibility that he gives you by being there.
1: I, I love his age too. Um, he's 25. He's so it's not not a young DP, right? Right. But if he pans out, he could be like our our Diego Chara, you know, right. a guy who's a who's an anchor on the team for five, six, seven years. No, ten um, years. Ten it's
3: years, great. Right? Let's go. And,
2: and plus, <laughs> once he gets by that third year, then once they've paid through his transfer fee, he should be a, a non DP at that point. Cause I don't think his wage bill alone qualifies him for it. And he's only got those three guaranteed years that they have to get through for his transfer fee.
1: Yeah. And I also think he's going to be a really popular player in Cincinnati. Um, I just, I think a guy who's just, he's just crushing guys and, and winning the ball all the time is going to, is going to play pretty well. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to having him here for sure. Oh,
0: that will be a blast. Um, (laughs) Speaking of uh Africans coming to TQL Stadium, how's that for a segue? Wow. <laughs> we've got oh. we've got Morocco coming to TQL Stadium to take on the US men's national team. Uh gentlemen, little little bit of egg on our face. Uh is what I guess the Twitter viewing public will see. Um we have had, and and still have, very good information that the opponent absolutely was Ghana. People inside and outside of the club were preparing to play Ghana. Uh, Ghanaian players were told that they were playing the U.S. Men's <laughs> National Team. Um, the... Uh, Uh, and that's not who they're playing. They're playing Morocco. They switched it up at the last second. I don't know exactly how an international friendly comes about. I don't know who gets paid in this situation or how that exactly works. And if we can ever track down the people in charge of doing that, I would love to talk to them about how these actually work because it really feels like it was in flux for about 48 hours. Um, but no, uh, Cincinnati gets yet another friendly, uh, what are the poor people of New York and California going to do now that now that Cincinnati has had two U.S. Men's National Team matches in, in two years?
2: I don't know. Go to Broadway. Go to one of their professional sports teams. They have at least two in every major league. Go to any number of concerts. Go to the comedy store to see any number of touring comedians that are there on a nightly basis. I don't fucking know. The idea that these people from New York and L.A. are crying – that Cincinnati is getting international friendlies and soccer teams. Like, there isn't a billion things going on in New York and D.C. and L.A. on a, on a nightly basis. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off and cry me a river. You can take your subway, your mass transit, into town, do whatever event you want to do, get hammered, take your subway home. We can't do any of that shit. We have to drive to the stadium because there's no mass transit in this town. Fuck off, you complaining weirdos. I'm done. I've got no I've got no time in my life for people crying poor New York. All the cool <laughs> stuff goes to Ohio. Fuck off. I, I'm old enough to
0: remember when, uh, the, the soccer viewing public in the United States kept saying to themselves, ah, oh, if only the Midwest would get into soccer, then we'll know the sport will have made it oh, if Only, if only those parts of the country that only watch football, American football, if they could get into it, then we'll know we have made it. And now. That uh, people realize that the, the the Midwest does like this sport and has built a handful of really nice stadiums. Expect Nashville to get a ton of these, too, by the way. And you can hear all the same things about how the South gets all the soccer games and, and not the East Coast and the West Coast. And that that will blow my mind again. Um no, this was the whole point of soccer catching on, is so that places like Cincinnati could get the game. I, the only question should be, why hasn't Cleveland or Indianapolis or, or one of these other Midwestern cities got it? And the answer is, they don't have TQL Stadium and Mercy Health Training Center. So,
1: Look, It's a perfect size for a friendly. I mean, right? It's yes. a 20, $25,000. we are going to fill it up. We're going to sell it out or near sell it out. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Probably not going to. Hit the heights of the Mexico game, but I'm I'm frankly tired of seeing these games that are in huge stadiums in Frisco, Texas, that have 8,000 people scattered around a 65,000 seat football stadium. Oh. Um, if the Pacific Northwest wants to host games, then you know, put grass in your in your right. stadium. <laughs> Atlanta um, too, by the way. Atlanta too. Indianapolis. Yeah, I don't same want Christian I don't want I don't want Christian Pulisic to suffer the same fate as Brad Guzan. Yes.
2: Right. You yes. <laughs> imagine? Can you imagine just the shitstorm that would hit U.S. soccer if they play a friendly in Atlanta or Portland and Pulisic or McKinney or somebody blows a tire, tears an ACL on the turf there, and you're wondering what the fuck are they doing playing on an artificial surface months before they're supposed to go to the World Cup? Oh my god.
0: Oh, there's also, been a couple of January friendlies where yeah, to your point Grayson, they're playing in the uh, uh whatever Phoenix calls her NFL stadium these days. I don't know if it's University of Phoenix still. Um where yeah, there were literally 7,000 people there. The place holds 70,000 people. Who is okay with this?
1: Also, something I think folks are not fully appreciating is um how how influential uh Mercy health training center might've been in this decision Mm -hmm. to spend a week at a training center that, that they've been to, that they really, really like um, to start off their, their window. Um, I know Dan McNally talked about how cool it was to have the national team walking around really impressed with the training facilities. But um, I think it was reported by somebody that, 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 in connection with making the decision for this game uh mercy yes. health uh played a part in that so full credit to the team for you know making that a priority when they when they came into mls you know we uh, we joked
0: about mercy health is it world-class and we used to I, I used to be a part of it you gotta you gotta laugh for joke you gotta wait for for every player to say yeah these facilities are world-class but it it really does feel like that that worked that they they either convinced them all that they're world-class or they they actually do believe it and um they uh the, the that, that was influential is, in their decision yeah but this is another
2: way, this is another thing and i understand haha he pays us to say this shit but like this is another opportunity or another situation where you've got to give credit to the ownership group of fc cincinnati where mm-hmm. they built tql stadium and mercy health because they wanted to host events like this it was purpose built i'm told uh, not from the team sources but from people that cover the team that they consulted with us soccer in the construction of a lot of this stuff. Their goal from day one was to host these events, and they have a compelling pitch to make. Not just the field, not just the stadium, but the fact that these are regional draws that people want to come see. And it makes a big difference that if you host this game in Cleveland, you're now talking about a seven, eight hour drive for someone from Nashville to go to that game. You host it in Cincinnati, it's a a three-and-a-half-hour drive from people from Cleveland, it's a four-hour drive from people from Nashville, it's a five-hour drive from Pittsburgh, five-hour drive from Chicago. And yeah, you play this game, you announce it well in advance, and it's going to draw regionally to a stadium that's centrally located in an area of the country that's easy to get to. And that was the genesis, that was the reason behind pitching Cincinnati as a soccer destination. And it's not something that happened spur of the moment this has been in the works for years to get events like this
0: yeah and oh by the way uh the more that the uh the national federation and other federations uh come to enjoy mercy health the the better that world cup bid looks so that's uh that'll be pretty clutch uh down the line in in convincing fifa that teams uh will want to spend their time here
1: a couple of, couple of other things. Uh, one is, some, some news dropped today about who's not getting a, a national team game in 2026, and that's Washington, D.C.
2: Ooh, yes. Uh, okay, because RFK
1: is not acceptable.
2: They didn't like the bouncing stands. It was, so It was so, so adorable what, when they would just make the stadium what, try to fall apart.
1: What they're doing is very funny to me. They're pretending it's a joint bid now. Between DC and Baltimore, <laughs> but the game will just be in Baltimore <laughs> if they get it, and they'll have like a like a party on the National Mall. Why wouldn't
2: they have a yes. the party at like Why wouldn't they have the party at BWI Airport? Like, really lean heavily into the Baltimore <laughs> Washington thing. Uh, I mean, it definitely helps
0: us in the bidding process that was definitely one of the one of the cities you had to see fall um also some some news vancouver jumped back in to the bidding process this is a team that had uh, or a city i should say had previously left again that's an indoor turf field so they're going to have to sort something out with that um
2: i also don't that- think that uh, that impacts cincinnati i think that they they already went into this process knowing how many games were going to be in Canada and how many games were going to be in Mexico. And Vancouver is competing against the other Canadian cities. They're not competing against what what's happening in, in Cincinnati or what's happening in the United States, I, I think at least. And Montreal dropped out
1: too, right? So
0: Montreal dropped out. So actually what it was was just Edmonton and Toronto, and there's a very good chance they were not going to give it to Edmonton. Um, I suspect they didn't just want to give it to Toronto and call it a joint World Cup by just giving them one – so that that explains Vancouver coming back in the the bummer for me is because I assume they're going to try to do these in pods is that probably improves Seattle's chance of hosting and if Vancouver wasn't there, Seattle would have absolutely been on a weird little island that um, That wouldn't have made sense. Uh, A couple of other tidbits have sort of trickled out of these FIFA selection committees. Uh, Apparently, they are not impressed with Boston slash Foxborough, which is uh, wild because I just assumed Robert Kraft's position in U.S. soccer guaranteed him a spot. Uh, but it appears they're not thrilled with that. And the other is SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. The host of the Super Bowl was built slightly too narrow. And FIFA <laughs> determined it is impossible for it to host an international quality match inside of it. Keep in mind, the owner of the, one of the teams in that stadium is Stan Kroenke, who owns Arsenal Football Club Maybe God, it the, would have come up.
2: God, the jokes so write themselves.
1: So that's definitely an owner who did not consult with U.S. soccer or FIFA when they were yes. building their stadium.
2: So or, I uh, yes. I know that Gre- Grayson loves it when I say this. I'm squatting on a take right now that um, that part of the reason why Mike Brown has been so quiet about the renovations to Paul Brown Stadium and the upcoming Bengals Stadium lease is because there's been some back-channel communication that every upgrade that he wants and the Brown family wants for the Bengals is going to come through the, the World Cup bid with the modernizations to Paul Brown Stadium for it to host matches, and that somebody's already tipped off Cincinnati with the high sign that we are, as of right now, one of the cities that's going to make the cut. So he doesn't need to politic or burn political capital starting the stadium renovation conversation now. He just needs to be quiet wait for everyone to get hyped about the World Cup, and then put his line items in the bill for what he wants fixed when they put the grass field down, make the upgrades for FIFA, all that nonsense.
1: So can we say sources are reporting that
2: Cincinnati (laughs) is going to be selected for the World Cup? The source is me making this up right now because I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, but I am a connect-the-dots guy, and I'm connecting a few dots right here that I may or may not have drawn on the picture.
0: I mean the thing is I've I've had I've had similar thoughts the bengal's lease comes up I believe it's 2026. Correct me sure if it I'm is. wrong here, Chief. <laughs> yeah, pretty suspicious timing as far as that's concerned. And yeah, you could easily see a package of $300 million in renovations being partially privately funded, partially publicly funded with a stadium tax that I believe will still be on the books then and have to go to stadium spending regardless. Um, they'll, they'll absolutely be able to pull that off. No, because if Grayson? we get the if we you get the look world
2: if we get the World Cup here, there's going to be a significant spend that's going to come from oh, yeah. the business community that's going to come from some existing tax revenue sources. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what gets the caps on Fort Washington way fast tracked. Um oh, with the idea you put of your fan zones right there, your fan yep. zones right yep. there. The, there will be a a. You hate to use once-in-a-lifetime because it's overused. We'll say generational, maybe. Generational opportunity to get a bunch of things done. And I just don't see Cincinnati turning this one down. We kind of thumbed our nose at the, oh, you could host the NCAA tournament if you renovate the uh, whatever the fuck they're calling that dump of an arena on the river right now. (laughs) But with the World Cup, I don't get the sense we're turning it down as long as the price tag isn't astronomical. And I don't think the price tag is going to be astronomical when you consider all the things we're going to do. And, oh, by the way, we'll, we'll keep the Bengals and, and do all that nonsense as well. So, I don't know. It's I, I I was very pessimistic about this bid as recently as a year, year and a half ago. And I've slowly started to think that our chances might not be as bad as I first thought they were. I don't know. What do you guys think?
1: Well, I'm just wondering if you think they're going to have to pass another sales tax to uh, pay Joe Burrow.
0: (laughs) That would pass. That would pass. You put that up to a countywide vote. That would pass. (laughs) You you put
2: Joe Burrow as the head of the, hey, we need to renovate Paul Brown Stadium. I'm convinced that if if he were to go right now and say, hey, you know what will convince me to sign a long-term deal is if the taxpayers would just build us an indoor practice facility. I'm not unconvinced after the Super Bowl that the city of Cincinnati and Hamilton County wouldn't build him that facility right now. (laughs) Right. Joe Scheiste's got some political sway, some political capital to burn.
0: <laughs> it, no, exactly. And um, I believe they're in the process of building that. You have to imagine uh, if. I don't know. I would, I would look at the plans, look at the specs, see, see if there isn't anything to uncover with potentially, uh, you know, housing a world cup team or, uh, or or something like that there, because if they have an indoor practice facility there, you got mercy health, you've got, uh, university of Cincinnati, you got Xavier, uh, you got a couple of spots where even if Cincinnati isn't a host city, they could absolutely be a base of operations. Um, so just very quickly, as, as fast as I can here, 11 American cities will be chosen. Um, if we go ahead and rule out, and this is probably premature, but we'll rule out Los Angeles and I, we can already knock out Washington, D.C. Uh, let's rule out Boston as well, just because it's more fun this way. You've got New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore. Atlanta, Orlando, Miami, Nashville, Cincinnati, Kansas City, Dallas, Houston, San Francisco. if you and Seattle you take out Denver, Kansas City, Orlando and it comes down to us in Nashville <laughs> and I I like our chances
2: I, I do too honestly um Nashville is what it is, but I mean Cincinnati is the it's the the u s soccer Federation has planted their flag here for better or worse um yep. they're they're voting in real time as to which one of these two markets they see as being more important to the growth of soccer in America and which one they think that they want to make their their stand in and it, it's not Nashville Nashville didn't get the Mexico game Cincinnati got the Mexico game um I also think that, you know, not for nothing, um, there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes in Cincinnati. This might be a little inside baseball, but there's momentum to build an arena in town for the first time in forever that's happening behind the scenes. And if you cross the river over into Kentucky, uh, we're getting our first, uh, since the pandemic, we're getting our international flight to Paris back nonstop, and we're allegedly getting a nonstop to London Heathrow next year as well. So hmm. there's there's some interesting things happening in Cincinnati on the international front. Um, just keep I, I an eye know. out
0: for any uh, any direct flights to Switzerland. That's how you know. <laughs> the direct line to
2: the money with FIFA. Yeah, yeah. The bag, the bagman express. Or you oh. know, if
1: Jeff has taken any more uh, Argentinian dudes to Rubies.
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if uh, more uh odd former presidents start popping up around town <laughs> please please send all scoops to the post um cool well that will definitely do it for uh for part one of uh the old postcast uh coming up you're gonna have a couple of things one you have uh in part two you have of course the uh, the failed the botched podcast highlights uh, but we also had some in the stadium in the game reporting from our own chief war pig here um, <laughs> just some fantastic uh fantastic journalistic instincts to uh to whip out the recorder and uh and get some tape on this one so um there's there's a little bit of that in there um so enjoy this one part three We'll, we'll, we'll get mesmerized by the magic of the cup
2: All right, we are live here at the U.S. Open Cup. We've got Jonah from KLR. I want to have your first half and second half thoughts before extra time. How are we feeling? How are we looking? How we doing? It's an absolute beauty of a game, a classic U.S. Open Cup matchup. Everything, you've got Pittsburgh doing
4: what Pittsburgh does. you got SEC doing exactly what FCC does. you got Russ out there. I saw Ledesma
2: getting chicken fingers. Great night. So of all the celebrity sightings we've had here in the Pitchview Club, where would you say your favorite was? Was it the aforementioned Manu Ledesma? Was it Jeff Smith, FC Cincinnati front office? Or was it Brenner, who is sitting off to the side looking miserable in the section right next to us? Oh, that's
4: definitely a tie between Brenner and Travis Grimes, former co-host of the You Ain't Lion podcast.
2: All the stars are out tonight. It's a who's who of true fans and bougie rich people. Do you regret anything about being out here among the one percenters sitting in... What we would term the soccer elite, not the true soccer elite, that would be the tunnel club in front of us, but the soccer elite-ish. Do you regret sitting here? Do you miss your usual seats? Tell the American people. The usual seats can die. My only regret is there's not more of you here to enjoy it with us. You should be, really be kicking yourself. It's the best zero-zero 0 game you're ever going to see. You heard it here first, folks. Plenty of good seats available. If they can manage to win this game, and that's very much in doubt, make sure that you are here in the pitch View club half an hour left, folks. come on half an hour left Joseph and May from Twitter tell the American people tell the listeners of the postcast how you feel about the first half of this game we just watched well I'm about I, enough well first off
4: we watched all 90 minutes of the regulation all 90
2: minutes of regulation sorry it was
4: garbage what is happening but Columbus and Detroit just tied it up I'm on record here to say wow I can't believe Detroit just beat them in extra time. That's, that's a guess, but it's going to happen.
2: We think it's going to happen.
4: It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The, Columbus is probably going to win. But I say Detroit is going to win, and wow, crew fans should be very embarrassed at everything they've ever been.
2: Again, an exclusive crew fan should be embarrassed.
4: Oh, shit.
2: All right. A penalty has just been awarded to FC Cincinnati. I'm here with Grayson Chalmers from the postcast. Grayson... Who's taking this PK? I need your answer right now. It's going to be Lucia, but it should be Kubo. We know that Brenner is. I'm, I'm looking at Brenner, hoping he goes oh, down there. Arielle. Oh, it's going to be Arielle. 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 Barrial. Barrial. Barrial is the PK man for the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah. We're going to watch this live. We're going to watch this live.
4: Let's go, baby.
2: Let's go. go Let's go, baby. Let's go, baby. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, go! Yeah! Fuck yeah! that's right. No goddamn doubt. No goddamn doubt. Not a goddamn doubt. That's right. Let's go. Let's get it. Brander could not look happier. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. 1-0 FC Cincinnati on the PK.
3: The The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love And to be loved in return. And I think about that. And I think like, you know, that's, that's like true, but it's not like true that like what you love is what loves you back, (laughs) you know, like it's like to love, right. And to be loved in return, but it's not necessarily that like, it's the same like interaction. And I think about that with the FC all the time. Like
4: I love the FC. <laughs> the FC does not love me back. I swear. Every time I went to a very specific woman who was so gracious, Beautiful would woman. give. We'll say we got. It's pretty much a red solo cup, but a clear solo cup. She'd right. go three quarters full with Jim Jack, whatever it was, and then just a splash of whatever cola. And she would say to me, "I still want you to be able to taste the the whiskey bourbon, whatever she would call it." And I'm like, "I think I'm gonna
2: taste it. And I watched uh, I watched Jonah put away probably like three packs of Sour Patch Kids, which just like a, an animal. I've never seen that before in my life. Yeah, but if we're actually gonna if we're actually gonna analyze this game, it the one thing that stuck out to me. Yeah, let's do that. Let's yeah. analyze the game. Analyze this game. Let's so go one deep. Thing the one thing that stuck yeah. out to me was how
3: I, I poured another drink. Let's let's do it. Let's, <laughs> analyze all, let's analyze all the games. I love. I fucking love analyzing games. Let's go. <laughs>
0: yes, Grayson, you've been on this point for a while. Please explain to the uh, the wonderful listener at home uh, what what you mean by this dubious math here.
3: Well, I I, I do think it's uh interesting that uh. uh Paul that that uh Marcelino Moreno has a uh seven million dollar uh transfer fee. Yep. And
0: uh <laughs> I just really wanted to listen to Grayson explain the
3: MLS rules this truck. I don't
4: <laughs> in this uh, <laughs> uh part three, no Grayson uh Explains MLS. Wow, wasted. from the US He also forgot
0: Paul McDonough's name and bailed. And yeah. I that. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, Paul McDonough. Oh, oh,
0: that's right, that's right. Oh God, I, Grayson, I owe it to Grayson because KLR called out the postcast for not having headlines. Grayson, to his credit, wrote some Atlanta headlines. So Grayson. Let's see how many of these we can get through before I end it.
3: (laughs) Because he can 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 Alec can leaves Atlanta's moreno looking Moulin Rouge (laughs) (laughs) after penalty save.
0: Beautiful.
4: That's honestly better than any any single one they've ever done.
0: If you're still with us after that, God bless you. You're in this for the
2: long haul. I just want to point out <laughs> so, that unlike the failing New York Times, when we have scoops, we immediately release them as opposed to waiting for the book deal down the road.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> We, we, we're we, uh we're definitely the model organization in town for journalism and journalism ethics so i think that has been well proven over the, the last fortnight uh, or fuck. so um, oh, boy. oh guys uh pittsburgh gave us everything everything cincinnati could handle uh but at the end of the day uh talent is just gonna win out on this one um i, I don't know i I don't know how much to take away from this game. Bob Lilly, I feel like, is uh, is an unsung hero in American soccer, and it's a shame he's never gotten a, a proper MLS gig. Um, but I don't know. I I don't really have too many thoughts on this uh, on on this one though. Uh, Chief, what do you, what was your takeaway? My, my on My takeaway one, on guess?
2: this game was the kids were not great. Um, it was great to see Barial yeah. uh, play well, at least down the stretch. And I said it on Twitter, but if the end result of all this is that Barial has sort of broken through or gotten whatever mojo he had back, that's a huge win. He's a guy that's an enigma to me. I thought he looked like a person who was a shooting star this time a year ago where he would be playing his way out of Cincinnati. And for whatever reason, it just it, – it stagnated and started to backslide under Yap. By the time Tyrone gets around, it's, yep. it's it's not good, and he seems to have never really found his footing with the new regime as well. So if whatever he did in this game is something where he can build off of, that's a huge win. And the, My only other takeaway from this game was it was wild to see Kubo and Acosta come in and look like a cheat code. They came in and it was you were just reminded. Oh my God, these guys are so much better than anyone who plays in the USL. They came in and (laughs) Acosta moved the ball at will, like he's nutmegging people and it actually works. He's taking on three people and none of them can touch him. Kubo is is gliding around the field (laughs) like playing in a different gear than everybody else, and that was just fun to watch. Like regardless of anything else, it was just fun to watch a couple people from our team look like legitimate all-stars playing in a game that was pretty neat
0: yeah i wonder i wonder what it's like to be a pittsburgh riverhound and and have that happen or or to play against that because on one hand like for a lot of these guys that have that have been in usl for a while uh yeah they get the occasional open cup match and whatnot but like You're probably one of the best soccer players you've ever, you know, played played with or or level of soccer player you've been around. And so to to come up against a Lucho Acosta has just gotta be like, I don't know, mind blowing to be like, Holy shit, there is there's this whole nother level. And then you think about like Lucho isn't good enough for the vast majority of Whatever top European teams, I don't know. You just start you start to see the layers of the sport in a moment like this because yeah, the Riverhounds on their day probably could have taken out any number of MLS teams. They they were fine. They they look like the better team in the first half. Um, yeah, that that to me was just interesting seeing that hierarchy of talent. And what's funny
2: about it too is that we saw that going the other direction during our our Open Cup run, where. We yes. played New York and Bradley Wright Phillips looked like a guy who had descended from another plane of existence. I mean, even fucking Sasha Kleschen <laughs> looked like he was operating at a different speed than the, the guys we were playing. So we saw that and, and saw sort of the plucky underdogs kind of hold off the big bads. And it was it was neat going the other direction, being the big bad that was able to say, okay, enough of this fucking around we're bringing the howitzer out and I don't know it's being on both ends of that is, is fascinating to me. I was just saying, even removing the FC Cincinnati fandom from the picture, that is kind of what makes the cup kind of cool. I think, I don't know.
1: It might be a really good time for Bariel to shine a bit. If we have a little bit of a cup run. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, I was with the chief. I thought, I thought Barriel was was going to get sold off to Europe any day now, um, I, probably after that Chicago yep. game um, specifically. Yep. Oh yeah. But he had a re- he had a real nice run of games last year um, before he kind of fell off a bit. At least at least to my eyes. Um, the pro- the problem is, I don't expect to see him do much shining in the league. Given that we don't really play with the position that he excels at when he's when he's on his good day. Um, that's true even more so for Atanga, who did not look nearly as good against Pittsburgh as Barrial did. And
0: He looked bad I'm
1: re- I watched bad. not I, I kinda half watched one of the two games that Atanga was was playing in and it didn't look like he was a guy who was a $4 million transfer (laughs) playing against, playing against reserves. Um, And the problem with that is you got to think that Albright probably wants to move on from both of them because they're not bringing the value to his system that you would want from their roster designation, but you can't, under the rules they can only take a loss on one of them huh. if, if you see i didn't know that if you reta- so if if you retain any future payment obligations um for a u22 or dp you can only trade
2: per year them. or oh, okay.
1: per, per year right so if if somebody sees Val, I, I don't know how much is left to pay on, on Barrial's transfer fee, maybe nothing, but it was much smaller than a So if you can get somebody to take on whatever obligations are left for Barrial, you know, pay his full salary, and if there's any part of a transfer fee left to pay, pay that, like Colorado did with Vallecia, then you can go ahead and you can right. take a loss on a Tonga if, if ownership is willing to do that. So I really want to see more of this from Barreal, not just because I want to see him do well and I want to see the team do well, but also it would be really helpful if he could play himself into a position where he's movable for value.
0: So here's a question for you. Um, it sounds like, according to, to Laurel Thaler's reporting, that uh, Vasquez picked up some sort of ankle injury, is going to miss at least two to three games going forward. Would you rather see Barial up top with Brenner and having a totally free-form attacking trio of those two and Lucho, or would you rather see Markanic who didn't really impress me in this game as well. Somebody that has actually looked better in MLS games, which is weird. I don't know how to think about that. But he he really didn't look the part. We did see Powell come into this one, so hopefully that means he's, uh, he's a little closer on the injury front. And uh, uh, KLR's favorite player, Johnny Nelson, um, is 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 finally recovered? His back seems to have healed up, so there's a little bit more depth uh, sneaking back onto the the field there. But um, no, I I think the the Open Cup here, the big thing is that uh, we have somehow, some way, managed to dodge uh, twice now, both Detroit City and Louisville. I think that is the storyline of the Cup. Um, I saw a number of fans upset that we were not. Uh, willing or able to host um, this match because of the Who concert, and I'm trying to think from just a a pure money making venture. Even just setting up this concert is gonna make more money than opening up the gates to all six thousand FCC fans and the fifty four Detroit fans
2: um, that F- would have come in on F- a year We would have only night. held fifty one tickets. <laughs> fifty one. We'll give them one more than if last you, time. If uh, you, <laughs>
1: yes. If you, if you, uh, uh, if you complained about the Who concert interfering with Open Cup, um, I want to see your picture from the stadium on Tuesday. <laughs> 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 like, yes. <laughs> um, because you know, it's like one of those things where more people are complaining about. Not hosting the game than who came to the game on Tuesday. This is coming
2: from Grayson, who was only Um, half at the game for the the second half of that. (laughs) Oh, I was I was at the game. (laughs) Spiritually, he
0: was above the game, around the game. (laughs) So,
1: um, I mean, look, they're going to have concerts in the stadium. Yeah, we knew they were going to have concerts in the stadium. It's one of the things they do to make revenue. Um, it's it's silly. To build a new stadium and, and use it 17 times a year. So yeah. and, and I don't I don't know when this when this concert was was officially scheduled. Um I would wager that it was before the open cup Absolutely. schedule
2: was out. These kind of schedules are booked most major touring acts are placing holds on venues nine to twelve months ahead of when a show is actually going to be scheduled. There's a whole industry out there of people looking to try and figure out when venues have holds on them so that they can book hotel rooms or adjacent Airbnbs and whatnot around, around concert venues. And, and look, I understand that it, it's part of the problem here, too, is that the demographic around FC Cincinnati of your average invested person, we'll say, falls between a certain age group that doesn't overlap heavily with people who are excited that the who is in town. And I don't think people have a big understanding of, to anyone that's between the ages of, I'll say, like 55 to 75 in this town, the who being in Cincinnati is a big fucking deal. Um, them playing a concert is a big yes. fucking deal. And you know what else is good from a business standpoint for FC Cincinnati? The target demographic that'll show up for this, this concert are people that you couldn't find an over-the-rhine with a search warrant because they believe it's dangerous. They've lived their entire life thinking it's not safe to go down there. And this is an entirely new group of people who will experience TQL Stadium, will realize, oh my God, it's safe for me to go downtown again. And that's a new ticket-buying group of people. It's business three-dimensional chess on this one. And I get that it's a blind spot for our generation a little bit, but it it shouldn't be if you engage in a little bit of rational thought on this.
0: Talk yeah, and i I, I want to <laughs> emphasize I want to emphasize that point just a little bit more. It's not just the band. like, yes, the who is a major rock band and again, of a certain generation. Uh, the, the this is massive. no, it's it's the who stadium tragedy and the deaths that surrounded it and the black mark that it left on this city to the point where you know that that was for a lot of people like the one thing that they could talk about this city was that this horrific concert accident happened and so yes like getting not just the who but like or not just a concert but having the who play at tql stadium it's like a, a healing of a decades old wound <sighs> In this city, um, and yeah, I'll gladly go on the road against New England to to have that and, in my soccer stadium. And you know, as what? a fan, and if I was an owner, I would be desperately trying to do that. And you know that. what else?
2: If you stuck through the nonsense that was in segment two, here's some breaking news for you: We're going to host another concert in September. There's already a hold on the building for mid-September for another major event mm. at TQL Stadium. This is going to be a yearly thing at TQL Stadium. You don't build this venue without the intention of doing this. And here's the other thing, too, is that they can't open this building up all the time without pissing the neighborhood off. So if they're going to open the building up for other events, they damn sure better be events where they can sell the entire fucking thing out and make a shitload of money. That's something that Chicago deals with with Wrigley Field. If they want to open Wrigley Field up for a night game in Chicago, they need special permission from the aldermen that work in the neighborhood. So if they're going to do that, they need to do it for some reason where a shitload of people are going to go down there, which is why they open up for concerts like The Grateful Dead, Fish, uh, Dave Matthews. Um, they had Pearl Jam play up there. You, those types of events make way more money than just bringing a soccer game in because you can sell the field out. You can sell uh, more tickets than you would uh, in the Bailey that you would normally more, normally ticket for. So get used to this. It's going to happen. That's part of the reason why they built the stadium, and that extra revenue pays for people like Wobodo to come over to Cincinnati and play, and that's that extra money that Philly didn't have that we are allegedly throwing around and recruiting people with.
1: Yeah, and I think if people are mad that uh... – U.S. soccer is coming here again. That bands like The Who or I don't know Pearl Jam or whoever are coming here. Um, God help me if they announce any more events for this summer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, could you imagine? Oh my gosh! Uh, I I'll throw this out there as well um, because I've had this concern is like slightly different one but like oh god that that field what is that field going to look like after a big old concert
1: i'm not uh, worried about that cuz we got a game the following weekend
0: right well the who or the who Cheezle. uh columbus crew which is what i had in my mind uh for years hosted rock on the range which was a webn live 749 rock like 749 roll every band Yes. It was every band that's ever been played on WEBN would play up there. Uh, I mean, we're talking like a hard rock concert on the Columbus Crew Field while they would win yearly awards from MLS for having the best turf. So it is possible. And by the way, they held those concerts in May in the middle of the MLS season, and uh, it worked out just fine. And I'm sure the crew had two road games back to back that they probably would have preferred not to have had, but... Everybody also worked like to, out in the it, end. To just keep this in
2: perspective. Um. It's okay for what an extra game versus the New England Revolution. That's not part of your season ticket package. What best case, most optimistic right. scenario? They're going to draw what seven thousand, ten thousand people for this. I mean, they. I can't imagine they right. made a dime of profit on that game on uh, Tuesday night with the small size so- Not
1: with the bartender you know. serving doubles on Yeah. <laughs>
2: We had Grayson in the club section making his own rosé by mixing red and white at the same time. There's no way they turned a profit on that fucking game. So I, I think it's an even-money bet that even if the Who weren't playing, that they wouldn't have slipped a note to U.S. Soccer and said, hey, remember we said we were willing to host? Uh, turns out that there's a fumigation that we need to do. Uh, it's not going to be available on that day. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Um, no, the, my only disappointment here is that oh, it wasn't that. at Louisville. Fuck that. Fuck that. Um, fuck that. I understand. I understand. I just would have liked to have uh, had an excuse to go to their new stadium uh, and not cheer
2: for a Louisville team. So No, seriously. I, I want to I I I I hear you, def- I I hear you defend your position on this. Why do you want to go play Louisville now? Wouldn't you rather do it in like a year or two when – Noonan and Albright have had their chance to turn the roster over. We've got Wobodo <laughs> in. We've got whoever our next DP in. We've gotten Vermeer out of here and used his money something better. Why don't we want to why don't you want to wait to play them to when we can really kick the ever living shit out of them versus a coin flip game this time around? That's fucking terrifying.
0: That's a good I mean, it's a good point. Part of it is I just genuinely miss the rivalry. I miss having a rival. I miss having. I miss having that, even if it meant losing. Like I'll never forget the. Uh, well, well. <laughs> I'll never forget. And then I immediately <laughs> forgot, uh, whatever the score was seven to one or seven to two, five to one, five to two goal, uh, score against Louisville was like, in my mind, the, uh, the worst loss for FCC because yes, they, they had taken bigger and worse losses elsewhere, but losing that bad to louisville was like the unforgivable sin and i don't know what is sports if not you know dread and fear and disappointment and and just soul-crushing uh sadness and you know i feel like louisville puts that on offers so that, that would have been nice
2: <laughs> i know
0: you're talking to a, an everton fan here and an everton fan uh by choice despite speaking their marketing su- speaking um, of summer um, events at so...
2: Stadium, um heyo um, oh. <laughs> no, God, I hated those Louisville games, like the existential dread of potentially losing was horrendous. The days before the game, I was a mess. I didn't want to deal with that. Then you'd go online after the loss oh. and you'd some fucking asshole in a teletubby costume talking shit to you. I didn't need that again. I don't want that back. <laughs> God no, fuck that
0: those are the those are the moments. Those are the moments I feel the most alive. I just need something to to remind me that I'm I'm a mortal being on this earth and uh, it feels good. You just want fe- you want you want to feel it's something. It's like my is
2: morning. Yes, Grayson, it's, my thought, morning strangely it's my quiet during morning this coffee. It's my sports segment. What are your top experiences with Lu- the Louisville Cincinnati rivalry? How many fights have you gotten into online um, defending FC Cincinnati?
1: I, I actually got into a fight with with the Louisville Main Twitter account defending Laurel. Aww.
2: So how that how that turn out for you in terms of winning goodwill?
1: <laughs> I don't think I don't think anybody I don't think anybody noticed, to be honest. Um, so <laughs> I'm I'm just glad that we um, we didn't do- draw Detroit City because that's gotta be the most obnoxious group of fans in American soccer
2: and no doubt they're the worst. They it's, it's not even close to number two is,
1: you know, they love bringing up the chalk face guy. Nothing, nothing about the chalk face guy is embarrassing as the way those folks carry themselves.
2: No. And the other thing too, about the chalk face guy that nobody realizes is that like, we've kind of owned that period of our history. We embrace it. It's all part of the rich pageant that got us where we were. Um, I wouldn't trade. Sh- also, it's, it's kind yeah, of funny. It Fuck, it's so clueless. <laughs> that whole idea of like the FCC 1.0 and all the dipshit ideas they had to try and brand this team, it's insane that this worked. And I love it. I love it to pieces. But no, that's the problem with them, is that they think that that's some big, oh, we got you. Look at the chalk face guy. And then when you try to throw anything on them, immediately they play the victim, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds fan talks about what a shitty neighborhood their stadium's in or just takes a picture of the area around the stadium and all of a sudden it's it's Pittsburgh is in favor of gentrification and how dare you say that. I remember back when we played them at, what the fuck was it, Gettler Stadium? We got a uh, guy, uh, yeah. Jono from the Pride, got into a fight online with one of their fans and then he immediately claimed, oh, I have a mental disability and you're bullying me. It's like, what are you talking about? You're fighting on Twitter, you I weirdo.
1: believe him that he has a mental disability. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, so there's only one thing I want to hear that I want to hear from Detroit City fans, and that's uh, who's their majority owner. Right?
2: Yes. How is that not a bigger story, by the way? How is there How is there a professional soccer team in the second division of American soccer and 30% of the ownership group has not been made known to the public? That's that, that's fucked up, right? Like uh, that's not just me. It's,
0: yes, it's thirty five percent, I believe, in order to to meet that uh, that PLS or whatever um that that USL may or may not be uh, having their eye on. Um, yeah, and, I, Grayson, I think it was you who, who flagged this, but uh, a couple of Detroit Lions showed up to the uh, the game. If it wasn't you, uh, it was somebody else from the Post. Uh, just, I don't know, suspicious that a couple of Detroit Lions, you know, people whose uh, paychecks are signed by the Ford family. Ford family, who was previously involved in an MLS bid in Detroit. There's a mystery owner that I don't know if the uh, the – fans of detroit city found out the fords were the uh, 35% ownership stake in their club might not be happy about it so best to keep it private i'm not sure that a family
1: so uh who who's who's a patriarch received a medal of courage from adolf hitler <laughs> and was and was uh highly highly sympathetic to nazi germany is going to play really well with the like freaking antifa Ooh. that that makes up detroit's uh Ultras.
0: yeah i believe the uh, protocols of the elders of zion was his favorite book and had it on his desk at all times uh, it's good it's good stuff what a good guy? anybody you wants Jennings. to learn
1: about uh, you, all love you anybody Jennings. wants to learn about henry ford i recommend uh, philip ross the plot against america it is fictional but it does have some insights about some american uh Let's say icon. Well, part of the
2: reason why I'm rooting for Detroit City so hard in the Open Cup is that I really want the narrative to get started that, hey, you beat two MLS teams. That's what we did in Cincinnati, and it started us on a trajectory towards MLS that nothing could stop. And keep this up, Detroit. You're going to be an MLS in no time, whether you like it or not. And I want to see how many of their fans turn on the team and start thinking they need to lose in order to prefer- preserve whatever this m- fucking – weird... I've never seen a fan base do the limbo faster than Detroit City, who for years railed against, you're not a club, you're a franchise. And then all of a sudden they join USL, where you're a fucking franchise. And it's, well, actually, yep. uh, we still retain all the IP ownership, <laughs> and we license that to USL. And all of a sudden they're fucking patent attorneys explaining how all this like shit works when... They are insufferable twats and I hate them all.
0: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. No, uh, it's they they all got lost and confused on their talking points. Uh, the original talking point was the owners of the New York Cosmos did not want to, uh, to give up the IP to the Cosmos brand because they wanted to sell merch. Because, if we remember correctly, when the Cosmos were revived in 2011, most people thought it was a clothing <laughs> line. The soccer team was sort of after a thought. And so when they, they genuinely had MLS interest, the ownership wanted to separate the Cosmos IP from MLS, and MLS wouldn't go for it. And it sounds like that's what ultimately sank their bid there was an offer on the table to have them join and take New York City FC's spot um so yeah I don't know for some reason NASL guys and NPSL guys just sort of like took that and was like if we join your league we lose our IP and it was like no everybody else has sort of figured this out you you could have figured something out I'm I'm so glad you're worried about your uh your whatever three or four owners that have uh, profited off of uh, free college labor all these years, but um, no, no, they would have been just fine. Um, <laughs> so yes, thank God. I don't know. Hopefully they uh, they can uh, lose to Louisville, and then we can go play
2: at Louisville, huh? That's the dream nope. scenario, right, Chief? Nope. <laughs> nope. Here's what I'm lo- what I'm looking for is Aww. I'm looking for a competitive soccer match <laughs> versus New England. That maybe we go two two to penalties and we bow out gracefully saying we gave it a good showing, and we can focus all of our resources on the real goal, which, and I can't emphasize this enough, is not finishing in last place. (laughs) I don't care about anything else but not finishing in last place. Everything else that is a distraction to not finishing in last place needs to be taken off the table right now so that we can focus on not finishing in last place.
0: Oh, but think about it. The further we go in the cup, that's more showcase opportunities to sell Bariel to another MLS team. And isn't that what we're actually after here?
1: So speaking of not finishing in last place, a uh, Brazilian from Territorio MLS has tweeted, I smell a Brazilian center back arriving in Cincinnati.
0: Well, that's racist. Um, that's Yeah, hang on. I don't like the phrasing. That's
2: what he said? He's Brazilian. He can say it. I wasn't aware that you could identify nationality based on aroma alone. That's interesting. I don't know that I want to wade into this discussion any further. (laughs) So,
3: one name I I would throw out,
1: and I don't have any inside information on this, but there's a guy, Caio Penteleão, who's a Brazilian center okay. back. He's 26. He's been with Krasnodar in uh, Russia, but has not appeared okay. for them since December. And uh, there were some rumors about him signing with some Brazilian clubs, and uh, he did not before their transfer window closed. So he's currently, it seems, mm. got a situation kind of up in the air. But no- nothing really to go on there. But The
2: whatever. only thing I know... We do, we Krasnodar do sounds like a b-level villain on a Star Trek series I didn't watch
0: <laughs> yes like and that's and that folks is where we're recruiting our <laughs> next center back <laughs> we'll
2: send we'll send the USS Excelsior out oh. to investigate.
0: Well, you know what? If this guy ends up signing with us, that'll be two episodes in a row that we've teased a name, um, teased a signing, and didn't know until after we hit publish on this. Um, Gentlemen, I think that wraps it up for uh, part three and for episode nine. Um, So thank you again for joining me. Hey, guys two podcasts in one week huh maybe this should be episode 9.5 <laughs> <laughs>
2: right, let's wait to hear what this one sounds like before we give it an extra point it's <laughs> yeah.
0: a good point that's a good point we'll see what it looks like uh, but uh but no uh, thank you so much for sticking it out and sticking with us and uh we'll catch you next week